so hi everyone. Um, as most of you would have heard because you're in the room, my name is Shelley Gibb. Um, I am currently a consultant and I've done a few different things along the way. Um, and the title of today's session is Collaborative Learning, Starting Somewhere. Because we all need to start and sometimes starting's the hardest part. Before we get started and go any further, um, I'm going to ask a few questions and I'll go from hard to easy, as I'd like to put it. So, first one, raise your hand if you have a QR reader app on your phone. Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> okay, now, um, if you guys can keep your hands raised. Now, those of you who haven't got your hands raised, um, raise your hand if you know what a QR code is. Okay, now would someone like to tell us, because not everyone in the room knows. <laughs> this is a QR code. <laughs> um, would anyone like to tell me what you use them for in your day-to-day -day life? Yes, <laughs> very elitist-like. Yeah, that's right. So you can store all sorts of things in these little blobby square-looking things. Um, quite commonly, they're used for links. Uh, you can also use them for notes. And one of the more inventive ways that I've seen them is to send a text message to a number which is contained within it. I won't be doing that today. Uh, what I will be doing is using them for links. So. Quite a lot of what I talk about will be based on my experience, and I have a tendency to read quite a bit and listen quite a bit, and that's probably because I've been a student for a really long time. <coughs> so when we see these, um, if you go through, you're very welcome to scan them, and it'll give you a link, um, which is a bit of a surprise, um, to something related to what I'm talking about. So for those of you who haven't got a QR reader, would you like to download one and have a go today? Okay, so if you get your phones out, and I see a very cool cassette case over there. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> yeah, and for those of you that don't, you're more, you're more than welcome to just watch along, that's fine. No, no one's going to say anything. It, it's basically just an add-on. <laughs> okay, so... No, you just need a smartphone. And if you've got a phone, you can go to wherever it is that you get your apps. So for me, um, that's the App Store. And if you type in QR Reader, you can usually get quite a few that are free. The one that I have is the Tap Media one. Um, it was basically the first one that came up on my list. I've had it for a while. I'm pretty happy with it, but it's up to you. I'm glad that you knew that, thank you. <laughs> so, I'll just wait until I see that we're relatively comfortable. Yeah, so it's this one. Yeah, and it doesn't take up, like you can do it off a 3G connection without too much of a problem. It's not going to take up a huge amount of memory or take very long. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. So how did you know that? That's... <laughs> well, sometimes that's the best kind of stuff to know. 
Yeah. All right, thanks everyone. So I think we'd probably better get moving just in the interests of time. Um, but I'm very happy for you to tap along. Yeah, so if you'd like to have a try, this one's not a mystery because it will tell you that it's going to my Twitter page. Yeah, so the others that are in here, they're not labelled, so they're there for you to have a bit of an explore while I'm talking. So I won't be offended if you pick up your phone and I won't think that you're taking photos of me, which might be a bit strange. I'll know that you're looking at the QR codes. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a Mo fan. My computer has a Mo on it too, so. No. <laughs> All right, I think we'd better get moving everyone, so. Thanks. So, today, it seems as though it's a bit of a theme of the conference and it's all about sharing. When Robin asked me to come and speak today, I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I'm really not special. I'm not very senior in my organization. I don't have any case studies for you today like I have in the past. I'm not even a student anymore. I've graduated, which is pretty awesome, but it means that I've already spoken about any research that I've done. And I was agonizing over this for a while because it seemed like such a good opportunity to connect with people. And one day in my trawls across Twitter in the morning, as I tend to do, I came across a video and it was posted by George Kuros. And I'll show you that now because I think it highlights the spirit of probably today and I would hope of my session and what my intentions are. So that's the spirit of today. What I'll be talking to you about are some of my experiences that I've had along the way. And in the interests of sharing, I'd hope that maybe you'd get something useful out of this. And maybe you can have some ideas, and one day you can stand up and share them if you're not already. My journey started back in 2005. In 2005, I was a recent graduate of a business degree. I had a certificate four in training, <laughs> and I was a hospitality trainer. And I used to train face-to-face. -face. It was often one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes it was small groups that were usually teenagers and very boisterous. <laughs> and I hadn't wanted to be a trainer. I did it because it was an in for me. What I actually wanted to be was an instructional designer. I loved instructional design. That was what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, all these instructional designers, oh, they seem to be doing some e-learning stuff. I don't even really know what e-learning is. I didn't get to do that at uni. So I went off, and I didn't really look all that far. I'd been to UTS, just across the road, so you can see I don't move around very much. And I had a look, and all of a sudden, oh, Diploma of e-learning, new course. Great, I'll try that. Without any expectations, I entered this course. It was a collaborative course. It was, as I now know, ahead of its time, and in some ways, it's probably still ahead of some of the other courses that are around in terms of its approach. The course was structured so that we had face-to-face -face sessions, 
once every couple of months. In between that, we had webinars where we could connect. And these weren't webinars of the talk at variety. These were webinars of the draw on screen, type questions, circle over how you're feeling and what you've brought to the session sort of webinars. In between that, we also had a learning community, which was closed off just for us so we would feel safe. We were able to reflect there. We were supposed to ask questions about the content and we were supposed to talk with each other. And over time, we were to develop our final assessment there. At first, I hated the course. Now, to most of us, it sounds fantastic, of course. This is brilliant. This is the way education should be. But I didn't really know what it was all about. I was expecting to go into a class and be told, show me, tell me, you know, isn't that what learning's all about? And it took me quite a while, you know, probably a couple of months before I realized that actually, you know, this is it. This isn't something that I hate. I love this. And it changed the way that I think about learning. And it changed it so profoundly through this experience that I'm still up here today telling you about it six years later. It affects what I do at work every day. It affects me having an idea. And for six years, I've gone into various workplaces, both as an employee and as a consultant, as part of another organization, and I've had ideas. My first idea came when I worked in a blue-collar organization. And in that organization, there was no e-learning. And these guys, they're not computer guys, so it wasn't going to fly with them. And I thought about it. And I went, well, these guys would probably connect pretty well with video. Well, they might connect well with webinars. They need something which is a bit interactive, a bit person-to-person, -person, and it needs to be really easy to use, and it needs to feel safe. And for about a year, I had ideas. I had ideas everywhere. Every time someone threw a project up, I'd see it, and I'd see that perhaps there was an opportunity. And I'd say, well, maybe this is an idea where we could fit in a webinar, or this might be good for a short video of someone talking, because these guys are all over Australia. And I was really persistent. And a year in, I got my idea, and I got it in a really big way. I got to do nearly 200 webinars, and it was awesome. But along the way, and where I am now, and by the way, I have an idea that I've had for quite a while now, and I'm getting to talk to it, talk to it tomorrow at work, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I've had a lot of challenges, and these challenges are pretty normal to everyone, so you know, these might be things like the people at work don't really like it, people don't understand where I'm from, most of the people I work with at the moment say, you've got a Twitter account, why are you wearing a moustache on it? And that's fine. See, these are some of the challenges that if you go down this path, you have to take. And so I'd like to discuss some of those just from a personal level and also discuss in some way how I've addressed them and from a learning perspective, why it's so important that we address them and we address them thoroughly and properly. So working in chronological order, you can see that not all ideas get through. Some ideas get smashed. So in some respect, and I say smashed is a rather violent word, but in some respect, um, you need to have a bit of a thick skin and you need to know what you want. My first challenge was actually myself. So I talk about my not so inner control freak. So I am a bit of a control freak and I'm a Virgo. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And when things are messy in shops, I try to tidy them, which is probably a bit weird. <laughs> and what that meant for me in a learning context was I was really rather institutionalized. I'd been at school since I was five, and by the time I did this particular course that I was referring to earlier, it was 2005. That's like 20 years. That's 20 years worth of content being pushed at me. That's 20 years worth of me saying, I know how to remember that, I can highlight it, and I can regurgitate it in a test. 
That is awesome. From three-unit economics, by the way, I can still tell you that one of the things that I learned was an acronym that I then converted to mean cigarette extra mild, C-I-G-X-M. I can't tell you what it means, but I can remember that. Isn't that good? <laughs> so when I got to this course, one of the things that I found so confronting and one of the reasons that as a learner I wasn't very happy was because I felt like I was out of control. What I thought was controlling learning was actually not. It was just controlling what was given to me. To control your learning actually means to control content and to control how you interact with it and what you choose to learn. And it is a far more profound experience. So, my ducks were in a row. They were now a bit chaotic. And I think this is something that for us as educators, if we can experience that as a learner, it gives us more grounding when we design programs or facilitate programs with learners and we're taking a collaborative approach. Because a lot of these guys, they are institutionalized. And at this point, I was a pretty regular person. So all I had was you know, a bachelor's degree and I'd been at school. But we have expectations. And so we need to move people away from expectations slowly. If we just dump them in it, and this course didn't just dump me in it, by the way. It was very supportive. Um, we can expect that there will be um, a large degree of disorientation. Um, and our students might not be very happy with us. And perhaps this will affect the learning outcomes in a negative way rather than a positive way. And that's not what we want. Oh, my QR code's cut off. The next thing that I faced was isolation. So when I was in a course learning about all of this collaborative stuff, that was great. I had people I could talk to. and Some of them weren't as, weren't as engaged as me. But they were still there, and I could still have a conversation. When I finished the course, that wasn't the case. And back then, Twitter wasn't really around. And I wasn't much of a blogger, because back then, I didn't know that I had anything to say. And I hadn't come across this whole idea in the full experience that I have now, that everyone has something to say. I wasn't aware of that. So I went back, and I went back to uni. Because that's what you do, right? And I went and studied learning this time. And learning was really what I should have studied the first time. And it was the most enjoyable experience. And as part of that, I created a network. The reason that networks are so important is because a network keeps the conversation going. So what is anyone here going to do when they go back to work tomorrow after this conference? Is anyone have any suggestions? Have you got any ideas? <laughs> You're going to tweet, yeah. <laughs> oh, you'll stalk me on Twitter. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but so if we go back to work and we have one or two conversations with our colleagues, if we're really lucky, they'll be interested. But that's not always the case. It wasn't the case with me. My colleagues thought in some part, oh, she's very young and she's enthusiastic. And in another part, I think she's slightly crazy and what's she talking about? <laughs> and what I found was that having a network meant that I could continue the conversation. It meant that when I went back to work, I wasn't invigorated for a week or two weeks or maybe a month. I stayed invigorated. I'm still invigorated. Six years on, I'm still talking about it like a mad woman and my new set of colleagues now who haven't been through any of these experiences still look at me like I'm slightly crazy and eventually they go, okay, well, you know, let's talk about it. But this is incredibly important. How can we have new ideas and how can we collaborate if we're not doing it ourselves? 
And this QR code, by the way, if anyone's interested, um, links to a project that Joyce Seitzinger did, and it's called What My PLN Means to Me. And she went around and interviewed a few people, um, I can't remember how many, and they're about short two-minute interviews, and people said, this is what my network means to me. And if you've got time, it's well worth a read. Um, Joyce is also doing a, I think she's doing a PhD in how networks form, so it's quite an interesting area, and it's something which I think is still really emerging for us. What's her name again? Sorry? What's her name again? It's Joyce. And Seitzinger? S-E-I-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R. <laughs> uh, her surname is S-E-I-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R. Is it because it's cut off? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. I wish that I could fix it. Um, but yeah, she's on Twitter, and I'll distribute these slides afterwards so that we can have a look at the QR codes a bit more closely. What do you mean when, well, you can't Yeah. It's, yeah, and on... Uh, it is a little bit different. It's more, it's more accessible. Yeah. So. Okay. So I'm sorry about the tech problems, everyone. Um, it's always a bit of a risk when you use technology. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So all it is, is it's just reading it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Yeah, I just went into Google and I said QR code maker or something and it came up and yeah, it's just a free one. <laughs> yeah, so... No, that's okay. That's what it's all about. Do you have a question? You were an engaged learner, and yet you just measured your thoughts on I did. <laughs> no, no. Um, what it was, and I'll get to this, um, I've actually got a link hidden in one of these which shows a model, but um, there are certain steps that you can take. So it's more enticing rather than forcing, but it's the same as if you were walked in here this morning, you would have walked in and said, I don't know where the toilets are, I don't have a program, I don't know what I'm doing, are they going to feed me? Yeah, all of those things, right? And when someone comes into an online environment, it's pretty much the same. They don't know their way around, and we quite often assume that people do. And we actually do need to take them through that whole step of orientation, you know? Like, you have quite often icebreakers where you get people to talk to each other about, you know, who are you, what are you doing, what are you interested in? You know, that's something that you need to do online too. And when you go through this process, um, it's more shaping around the activities so that the activities become less structured as you go along. So you move people towards it. Does that make sense? Ah, oh, you got my link out of it. Yeah, that's the link that I've got. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. I use it too. <laughs> Total spoiler alert in the corner of the room. <laughs> yeah, so there's um, a QR code on that and I'll bring it up for you. Yeah, I think Jilly's, I got to meet Jilly for the first time this year and she was one of the people, um, her work was introduced to me in 2005 and I was so excited. So the next challenge that I faced was when I started to actually implement this collaborative learning. And this was for me uh, as an educator. And it's the idea of controlling through content. When we're in a room, it's very easy to control through content. In fact, I'm controlling through content right now. But if I was to try to train you, I wouldn't be controlling you through content. <laughs> controlling through content I guess, fits in with the Cartesian view of learning. And it's the idea of, I think, therefore I am. You pour knowledge into my head, and I interpret it, and I do all of this on my own, individually. That is not what the social view of learning is about. The social view of learning is about, you might get someone to pour knowledge into your head if you really go down that path, especially when you've got things that you might want people to start thinking about. But it's about, we participate, therefore we are. <laughs> Understanding is something which is socially constructed. So for instance, when you guys were here and I heard a few of you talking about what's this QR code thing and someone's talking to you about it and you're communicating, that's a very basic example of part of what that social learning is. And the idea for us is that it's very challenging when you create a course and you're used to controlling through content to have to trust your learners because your learners are going to come up with a lot of the content. You're going to have an interaction plan in the background perhaps but you need to have the trust in them that they are able to participate to the course in a meaningful way and that you're going to use their content as part of the course, which means that instead of thinking about what content you can push at people, you need to think about what activities you can create. You might want to think about what discussions you can have around content. You might want to think about, for example, is there a way that I can get people to bookmark content that they find with a familiar tag using a tool like Delicious, for instance, but it doesn't matter what the tool is? And it's that. And that is one of the biggest challenges when you come across from a push controlling through content environment. It's also something which is hugely, hugely important. And for me, it probably took me a little while to overcome it, um, especially when I started designing webinars and I was dealing with other colleagues and I was doing it as a co-design activity and I had to start asking the question when we were doing the design of how do you want people to interact around this? And when I started asking those questions, it started getting easier for us. Oh, okay, we have to think a bit differently. Right, we have to think about our learners. What do we want the learners to bring? Uh, yep. Yes, you need to build them to the level of understanding. So, for instance, if we were looking at the Julie Salmon model, and I'll pull that one because it's the easiest and one of the most familiar, is you might start with giving them a reading and saying, or actually after you've done all of the social interaction stuff and introductions, one of your content pieces might start with giving someone a reading as a group and say, well, you know, what did you think about this? Now, that's still content pouring in, but what you're doing is you're moving towards this where you're trying to get a shared understanding. 
as you get further along and you get more trust, you start developing activities that move more towards can you find a reading on this? What's important about it? What is useful for it? And so it's what you're referring to there, it's a good point. It's we can't just go big bang because big bang will fail as much as we don't want it to. We need to move incrementally and we need to do it systematically. So does anyone want to have a look at the QR code for that or are we good? <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so one of the challenges that we face when we start controlling through engagement rather than controlling through content is the idea that you may be a lazy designer. So this is an example of a slide that I mocked up. Um, I ran this slide as part of a webinar and I was actually talking about designing webinars so that they're interactive. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if my manager picked this up and looked at this, I know exactly what she'd say. Where's the content? What are they gonna talk about? Put more words on there. That's not how you use PowerPoint. Has anyone experienced anything like that? No. You're very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what I'm about. I'm about take it all off, take it all off. Now, this is one of the challenges that you'll face, perhaps from learners who are used to show me, tell me, is if they see these slides out of context, they'll be like, what are you telling me? There's nothing here for me to learn. If you show educators, perhaps you have a group of people that you would like to run your webinars, and they're used to face-to-face, -face, they're used to presenting with overloaded, horrible PowerPoint slides. They'll see this and they'll say, I don't know what to do with it. What am I supposed to talk about? What this slide ended up looking like was this. That is our content. That is our user-generated content. This was just a short discussion. As, as you can see, I think this slide represents a few things quite well. The first is learning when it's real learning and it's owned by people, it's messy. This is not neat. I wouldn't design a PowerPoint slide to look like this. But that's what happens, and that's fine because it's messy because it is an organic experience for us. And I think that the reason I chose this the reason that I chose this slide is because it also poses a very important question, which is if you design with content, meaning if you push content at people in a collaborative online environment, you can't see your learners. Imagine a big black screen between you and me right now. How do you know if anyone is listening? Anyone? Exactly, you don't. I get a few smart answers sometimes. Oh, I can see what they're doing through their webinar status. I'm like, yeah, well, you can just see if they're looking at the screen. You can't see if they're engaged. In an environment which is online where you can't see your learners, this is so crucially important that it's just not funny. Or maybe it is. But the idea is that you need to control through engagement. And so these are some of the, and this is a very first cut, so these were people that were very unfamiliar with learning in this environment. So these are some of the suggestions that they came up with, you know, which was um, ask them to respond on the screen in some way, ask open questions. Um, we had someone who had a bit of a tech problem and they're saying how do you keep them engaged in a noisy environment? You know, someone asking about the screen there, but ask them questions like this. You know, and these are some of the suggestions that you come up. Someone was being a bit, um, show me, tell me, what do you suggest? And so this opened up a whole bunch of experience. So, you know, I mean, I could have come up with all of these on my own, but 
for me to do that and then just punch it out, I'm not practicing what I'm preaching for starters. It makes me a hypocrite as far as I'm concerned if I'm in an online environment I'm trying to train people that way. Um, but it also means if I tell them, it's just something else that they've been told during the day. If they have to think about it, it engages their brain more. Right? It means that they actually have to think. They're tagging it to some sort of experience, which means that they're going to learn more from it. It's going to be a bit deeper. And then, if they have a discussion about it, because it's their own content and they're more engaged with it, then they're codifying it in a way which amongst them is more meaningful to them. They're using their own language with each other. That's something that, as a trainer or an educator, I could never achieve. And that's why I think that it's very important for us. Another challenge that I've faced, and I'm sure that everyone has in some way, shape, or form, and I was just saying my manager likes slides with lots of dot points, um, and that's quite normal, and in our environment, that's what's acceptable, and that's fine. In this environment, it wouldn't be. Is management buy-in? First, break all the rules, a lot of the mavericks say. I'm not going to tell you to break all the rules, because if you break all the rules, you're probably not going to have a job. It's really exciting, it's great, it's a good tagline, but it's fundamentally broken itself. First, I'm going to offer, you need to know what the rules are. Some of those rules are there for a really good reason. So for instance, um, I can think of a bank that was talking about using Ning. Now, Ning is an online sort of community tool. Unfortunately, Ning is not really all that secure. So imagine if they'd broken the rules and used Ning. Well, they could have had confidential information, and this is a bank out there on the internet where it was easily accessible. And Nings, by the way, have been known to get hacked pretty badly in their time. Um, so another example of that would be, you know, imagine that you're responsible for your students and you're telling them to go out there online and create some sort of an identity without them or you knowing the full ramifications of that. Things that are online do follow you. you know, as much as I may not like it, if I Google my name, I'm going to find things written about me that may not necessarily be by me. And there's not all that much that I can do about it unless I go to a pretty large extent. So know what the rules are, know why they're there, and then get creative. What can you do within the rules? and then find other people that are getting creative. Quite often, you'll find people in other parts of the organization. Um, a lot of people who are in knowledge management or change management, for instance, have some pretty creative solutions around this. Talk with them, get connected with them, and then get creative with them and see what you can do in your environment. And once you know the, once you know the rules, then push the boundaries. Hard, persistently. Have ideas, lots of them, and continuously. But know what the rules are and why they're there, because it is important for us. And that ties to the next point about management buy-in. So I come from a relatively commercial environment. So while I care about deeper learning outcomes, and I will always talk to say, this is important because it means the learner owns it. It means that they will go away, and they'll be able to act on this better, and they will take this with them for the rest of their life in an ideal world. Management don't always think like that. Management do have a tendency to think in dollars. And so sometimes we do need to do the ROI or the ROL, as I think it's being called. Um, and some of this is about finding an in. And so one of the ways that I've seen an in found is to find an existing program that's in need of a little bit of help. So for instance, um, 
a lower level leadership development program for an organisation that has people all over Australia. Maybe those people are having to travel a lot. Maybe they can't connect in between, so they're doing conference calls. That's a prime opportunity for you to introduce some sort of an online, an online learning community, maybe some social bookmarking, and then you can track that to your assessment completion rates and to your outcomes that way. Another example of how you might be able to do it as well um, is if you've got trainers who are traveling, as I was talking about earlier, all around Australia or whatever it is that they may be doing, but they're only delivering really short sessions or sessions that would be better if they were delivered incrementally so people had a chance to, um, I guess, bed the information in between them. That might be an example where you could use a webinar and that might be not only very cost effective, um, but it might also improve your learning outcomes too. So that's another way that you can sell it. And that was, by the way, how I got webinars in in the first place, was that I could see that they were exciting and they were going to achieve better outcomes than someone walking around and doing the chalk and talk, or the proposed strategy, which was horrifyingly printed emails on workshop walls. But from management's perspective, they said, oh, look at all this money we can save. That's great, that's fine. I still get what I want and they get what they want. And sometimes we need to connect those two things. Now, who of you here works with some people that are pretty grumpy about e-learning? <laughs> All right, now I'll actually bring this QR code up because I wouldn't mind if you had a bit of a look at it. So, excuse my technology blunder. Now, I've been pretty interested in neuroscience lately. Um, it's just something that I can do. Now that I'm not studying, I can listen to podcasts and not feel very guilty about it. Quite nice. And part of what I've been listening to is, um, it's pretty, I guess, lightweight in terms of the scheme of things, but it's this idea that um, we respond differently to a threat than, to we, than what we do to an opportunity. Now, we all know this already, you would have seen it. But what they're proving is that our brains actually respond differently. So if something is presented as an opportunity to you, what it means is that you're able to learn better. So what you need to do is make your colleagues feel safe. And I know that I've dealt with some pretty crabby colleagues or some colleagues that, like I was saying before, just think I'm a bit strange, and that's all right. So it's probably not best to throw them in the deep end and say, hey, here's a course to facilitate, because that's a threat response immediately. That's a, what am I doing? I don't know what my job is. I'm not in control. So. Some of the ideas that you can have around here are how can I introduce this safely in my workplace? And this varies from context to context. So for us, it was a matter of um, teaching how to moderate webinars by using webinars and having a coach um, in the background who was always online, who was also able to use the technology so that people felt safe. In other organizations, I've seen some way cooler things than that. Um, AMP, for instance, taught their people to use Twitter by actually getting them to go on Twitter in work time. And that was a fabulous idea. So it depends on your context. Okay, the final one here, and I like this QR code too, so I'm going to bring it up for you again. <laughs> I love it when they're on the screen in the right place to start with, is that of the learners. And this alludes really heavily to what you're saying. And um, this was where you, know, you had a bit of a teaser with me. But this is Jilly Salmon's five-stage model. This is the model that I've used in so many different situations. Um, 
as a way of taking learners from that initial approach of building a community, giving access, giving motivation, getting them to socialise, getting them to then exchange information, then getting them to create information is where you get them to start talking with each other and finding something new, and eventually getting them to build a network that will take them from beyond where they've been in the classroom. And that's what this here is about. So in the interests of time, I think it's probably good to finish up. So starting somewhere. This is somewhere, anywhere somewhere. And this is based on my experience. Everyone has a different role, but when I thought about it and I had a look around at the people I know, everyone seems to have done something similar-ish to this. So it's your journey, and this was mine. I formed a network, I connected. I found and recruited like-minded colleagues. So one of my colleagues actually met her husband on Flickr. And I'm very proud to say that I introduced her to Flickr, but I can't be responsible for the husband. <laughs> Share information with your colleagues, learn together, find people, connect with them, don't let them go. Have a strategy, be one step ahead. So this doesn't necessarily need to be an organisational strategy, this means for you. What are you going to do next? You've got to win, you've introduced something. What's your next step? How are you going to keep momentum? Start small and build. So don't try to take over the world just yet, just find something small, somewhere where you can establish yourself, you can have a bit of an experiment and you can prove the worth of what you're doing and then plan to take over the world. <laughs> Thanks. Thank